0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for the upcoming six episodes straight out of New Rochelle, New York, she's an alum of Purchase College and an esteemed musician with experience in guitar, bass, drums, vocals. She's just a natural musician, and I am excited to be speaking with her today. So, ladies and gentlemen, introducing... Emma Elizabeth Steen. How you doing, Emma? Hey,
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. So, Emma, one thing that I always do with my guests is allow them to give their own introduction to themselves. So, Emma, for people who don't know, in your own words, who and what exactly are you?
1: That's a good question. Um, so, I like to think of myself as a composer first performer first um but i've always had a real passion for things like um teaching i've always had a real passion for just like if you ask me something that i know about i will spend the next hour explaining it to you um i've always had a passion for things like theater and literature and i think that um i think that music has been the best way for me to funnel my various other loves into one kind of laser focus you know um i'm a composer first but um i i like um several other things i'm gonna start over with that one (laughs) okay i think of myself as a composer and performer first um but i also have like a real love of teaching and education i have a real love of literature and of theater I started out as an actor and then kind of decided that musicians are less stressful to work with than actors. Um, and I feel like music in particular has been like the one thing that lets me really like hone every other skill that I also want to hone. Music is a good outlet for creative writing. Music is a good outlet for the kind of performance that acting is too. Music is a good outlet for, um, for studying and for you know, for reading, for essay writing, it's kind of it's kind of a good umbrella for everything else that I have considered careers in. And it's also it's also the art form that comes most naturally to me, just like by trial and error.
0: Thank you for that introduction, Emma. <laughs> so I'm actually a little curious uh, about your background. At what age exactly? Did you start uh, learning and practicing music?
1: So I um, picked up violin as like an after school project. Like there was a violin club at my elementary school. So I started like learning, reading music, playing music casually at around eight. I didn't like get serious about it until... Maybe when I was 11, 12, 13, and I picked up guitar for the first time, I wrote my very first song in sixth grade and it's okay. You know, it's not, not recording it anytime time soon, but I didn't get serious, serious about music until my freshman year of college. Um, when I started joining bands for real, when I started trying to record my own music for real and, um, I didn't really find my niche, my like, you know, my own musical voice, so to speak, until literally like a couple years ago, like, um, my prior musical career has been very, like, um, very up and down, very, um, testing the various waters. Um, So even though I have been playing music for like, 10, 15 years, I haven't. I, I only started reaching for a career in music like six years ago. And even that has been like a bit of a tumultuous path <laughs> full of, full of like, you know, conservatory rejections and failed bands, you know, the huge. Uh,
0: uh, Emma, well, first off, thank you for that answer. But uh, next question is, you know, a lot of people experience highs and lows you know especially when you're trying to be successful so Emma, what was one low that you are actually the most grateful for like what is a low where you're just like i'm so glad that happened or else i would not be where i am now
1: a low that i'm grateful for so i think it's it's um that's a good one um i mean like it was a pretty low moment the first time I got rejected from the conservatory at purchase. I'd gotten into the school for theater and realized kind of halfway through my first semester that like I didn't want a career in this. I did not want to take theater seriously enough to like study it rigorously for 4 years like I was I was suddenly like so turned off from that. And I'd been taking like a all access music class that I just loved. And I was like, this feels better. This I just started working at um as a receptionist at um at like a school of rock. So like, you know, I was already like kind of foot in the door, foot in the door, music places. Um, and I spent my entire first paycheck, which was sixty-two dollars exactly, on my audition for the um music conservatory and i like would go to bea who is the head of the conservatory like every single week asking like did you get my audition did you get my audition and eventually she said like i'm so sorry no one even looked at it because we had too many applicants you just applied too late and i I went back to my dorm like my nasty freshman dorm and i was like sat there and i couldn't even cry I'd worked so hard on this portfolio, I'd recorded all the songs, I'd written them, I like sang my heart out. And, you know, no one even listened to them. And I went back a couple days later and asked, like, when is the next round of auditions? I can't let one, you know, one mishap, one missed deadline, stopped me. So I applied again, I got rejected again, which hurt a little bit less than the first time. Um, And on my third round of auditions, I finally got in. And um, I think if I hadn't been rejected so hard after so much work, and then bounced back, I would have known that music wasn't for me so like looking back the fact that i like after like wallowing a little bit the fact that i was able to dust myself off and prepare to face rejection again i can look back at that and see like okay i could already tell that music was the only thing i was going to do this for music was the only thing that i was going to like face rejection for again and again and again and again, until I got it. Um, freshman year, me kind of <laughs> was a little bit of a badass. I, I respect her. Sometimes you just gotta knuckle down, you know, grit your teeth and start, you know, start fighting. I, I kind I of, I feel vindicated by um, my audition for the master's program. My last semester of freshman year was um, spring, or uh, my last semester of um, undergrad rather was spring 2020. So like, I wasn't the future didn't look bright. So I figured why not just stay in school. Um, and my audition for the master's program was just, I asked my advisor and he said, you don't even have to audition, you're in. So my 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 grad school audition makes those first three underground auditions
0: okay you know wow you have made some huge accomplishments huge but um so let's get down to it so while you were studying music or specifically like music theory um what sort of skills were you able to transfer from that into you know your, your jobs your chores every your everyday life How what skills were you able to transfer from music theory into your life
1: um, what music theory skills I've been able to transfer to other subjects? Ooh, like, like, I guess it's like a, in general music skill, it's not necessarily theoretical, but, um, the kind of patience that it took to learn music theory is something that has served me in other areas for sure. Um, yeah no um, the the patience that it takes to learn music theory has definitely made me a more functional person in regular life um a lot of my professors would say things like you know this kind of music theory didn't click for me until after i graduated college you know i you just have to do it every day and hope that it clicks and uh it's true a lot of the concepts that i was trying like really struggling with in my 101 classes I'm understanding them now as I'm trying to teach them to other students. Um, it's like the, a long road to mastery, like, sure, I won't get my dream job right now, but I can take the baby steps, I can learn the scales, I can do my arpeggios. And, you know, it'll click eventually. You know, it's it's a little bit Zen. It's a little bit like a. <laughs> It's a little bit meditative, you know, you just sit there playing your scales and you think, okay, I made a mistake as I crossed under on F. Next time I play the scale, I will pay extra attention to my thumb, you know, and that kind of like stop, gather the details of what went wrong. Make sure you know how to fix them Approach has helped me be a calmer person in my entry into adulthood. <laughs> also, um, that's that same, you know, toughing it out attitude that I took on when I um, like, uh, when I was first auditioning for the music program is the same toughing it out attitude that I use now when I'm asking my bosses for raises, you know, there's a certain amount of just like, I'm going to plant my feet and deal with some some kind of bull and it's going to work out however it works out. I think um, in regards to your question, the music theory patience thing is a little bit more podcastable. You know, that that kind of like, I am going to spend six months learning a song attitude does get you far once you start applying it to other things.
0: Thank you for that, Emma. So, now I'm a little bit curious because I know you said you wanted to go into higher education and help inspire others. So, I'm a little bit curious about another thing. The inclusion of the internet, uh, because we both know YouTube hosts a plethora of different musical artists uh, who each have their own way of teaching. Uh, Do you think it's still necessary to learn from... Classic artists like Chopin or Beethoven, or are they becoming more obsolete? Like, because we have people learning from, like, learning like to create their own melodies and like learning songs from like the sixties and seventies. So, you do you think it's still necessary to learn from like classical artists, or not so much anymore?
1: you opened a huge can of worms here because <laughs> I have so many opinions about what we consider classical music I think that um you know first of all like classical music is like an era of music you know it's like a, a very set timeline so even though we may think of like Debussy C is like oh he fits in the classical canon of music he's not like classical music you know he was alive more recently than you know the 17 16 whatever hundreds um, So I think that the idea of like what we in Western the Western world the English speaking world um, call classical music is like such a narrow like narrow span of time narrow scope of artists like we hold artists like Beethoven and Bach in such high regard that we design our entire music curricula around them and I think. It's kind of a loss for people who want to learn any other kind of music. If you audition for a jazz program, any jazz program, they'll likely ask you to play some kind of classical piece for your audition. Like if you're a jazz pianist, they might ask you play some kind of classical etude. If you're a jazz guitarist, play a Fernando Sor piece, you know. They won't ask you to play a jazz piece or a folk piece if you're auditioning for a classical program you know i mean i so i think we definitely hold the western classical canon of artists in way too high a regard i think that yes they're all masters of their craft like i'm never going to deny that like they were good composers good artists but i think i think it's so limiting to regard the the western classical canon of music as academia personified or as the be all and end all of music education because it's a couple hundred years of music in a handful of countries that yes is good i listen to i listen to you know mozart i listen to the magic flute i love the magic flute I I love most of Mozart's operas, actually. I think he's great. And it's like, do I think that Mozart is more relevant to musical life nowadays than say, like the Appalachian mountain singers who couldn't read or write, but still wrote some of the most enduring music ever? Absolutely not. Like, I, I think that we like, not to like say the buzzwords but we like putting dead white men on pedestals. (laughs) And it's just like, well, I think, oh, of course, like I want people to like know this traditional music if they want to learn it. I think it's good to be as widely referenced as possible, even if you're playing jazz. It's good to know some classical music, but I don't think it's a huge loss for music education in general that people aren't as... I'm doing scare quotes for the listeners at home by the book as we, as it used to be, you know, 50, a hundred years ago. I think that, I think that it's only, it's only a good thing that people are able to start somewhere new, so to speak.
0: All right. Moving on to the next question, Emma, when creating your sound, where do you find that moment where you're just like, this is it this is the melody or the rhythm that I want. Like, how do you find that like sound like a tune you're trying to look for?
1: I don't have those moments to be like, very honest. I think that, um, I don't know who it's attributed to, but, um, it's like, you can never finish a work of art. You can only walk away from it. You can only let it be. And I do a lot of letting it be. I do a lot of, this is the form that this song takes right now. I know that just, just it's going to change at some point. It might change without me even noticing it. And those are the best kinds of changes. Sometimes I'll listen to a recording of a piece from three, four five years ago, and it'll be like completely different, like either structurally or rhythmically, like feel wise, you know, my starring pattern is different um, than it is right now but I won't remember having decided to change it. I'll just have settled into a cooler strumming pattern. I'll have chosen to accent a cooler, you know, I'll accent the upbeat somewhere rather than the downbeat in one measure. And it'll just like, there'll be something about like these unconscious choices that I trust more than any of the conscious choices that I make when I compose in a way like, um, yeah, it, it's it's weird. Like I like letting songs evolve naturally. I don't think that um needing a definitive version of a song is good. I think that I'm gonna sound like I'm two hundred years old when I say this, but I think that recorded music has given us this idea that there are definitive versions of songs. And I don't think that needs to be the case. Um, I have um, this one song, pardon me, um, called Joan of Arc. And I've recorded it like five different times. And each time is different. Some of them are released, some of them aren't. Um, but there's just something about some of these songs that I need to keep recording it. I need to like keep finding new iterations of it. I need to keep peeling back the layers because there are so many possibilities that I can't choose a favorite. There are so many meanings that I could give this song by just harmonizing differently. Like there's, there, I could change them. One of the versions of Joan of Arc, like I changed one bass note in the post-chorus. Just one note in the entire song is like actually functionally compositionally different from every other version of the song and that one note changes the entire mood because that one bass note makes the um makes this chord suddenly like minor like it's not like i don't don't ask me what chord it is but like it's like taking a C major chord and then putting an A in the bass. And now, oh, it's an A minor seven chord now, Ooh. It just changed, like, one tiny decision like that can um, just, like, it can be such a Pandora's box for, you know, negative connotation kind of metaphor, but, like, in a good way. Hope is at the bottom of the box. Um. So, like, why would I limit myself to one sound, one recording, one version of the song um i'm gonna sound you know 200 years old when i say this but i think that recording technology has made us feel like there can only be one definitive version of a song and i don't think that needs to be the case so i don't really have this is it moments i have like this could be it moments you know like there are a dozen different ways the song could go, and that's what makes me want to finish the song. Um,
0: Emma, There's this quote from uh, Billy Sheehan, and it goes, music is always changing, and changes are unpredictable. Now, we have seen a sort of evolution going from, like, all the way back to the 60s or 50s, like the 70s and the 80s, all the way up to now, so you know, there are different slash changes. So, Emma, how do you expect the changes to be uh, from from now to in the future, or at least how do you want to see the changes? Like, what do you what do you want the changes to be?
1: See, I, I this is like this is something that I don't like consciously think about a lot, actually. Um, so you got me um but just like off the top of my head kind of um one of the things that i do think about is that um recording technology has made like the dissemination of music a whole lot easier it's made um collaboration a whole lot easier it's kind of made music it kind of puts everyone on on equal footing in a way you know clearly like Recording a song on GarageBand and recording a song on Pro Tools are two very different levels of recording music. But, you know, one of the ways that I'm expecting music to change is that I think it's going to become more collaborative. I think it's going to become, I think what I see a lot is like more people, at least in the DIY underground scenes, like getting together and jamming. I think that people think that, um, you know, recording technology has turned everyone into, like, a lo-fi bedroom pop artist, like, sitting alone in our rooms, like, going, like, like typing on our computer and making, like, electronic music. But I think also, like, um, there's such an ease nowadays with, like, hey, my friend from North Carolina, can you lay down some fiddle for my song? I'll send you the stems so you can record it with whatever mic you got. Or like, um, you know, like the ability to just like bring your rig to somebody's house. Like my, um, one of the bands I'm in the mops, the uh, other two members of the band um, came to, you know, came to my place. We recorded harmonium parts for an entire album, just like on the floor of my boyfriend's living room. Like. Music has gotten so intensely collaborative because collaborating has become so, so easy with how affordable and portable everything is. So, I really do expect people to just like continue that, you know, that kind of like, we're all just gonna jam and we're all just gonna like play on each other's records and we're all gonna have like basement shows together. And that's like, of course, that's something that's been around forever, you know, basement shows are not new. But the, um, the ease and the access to like everyone's got a million projects everyone's playing on a million albums everyone's organizing a million shows like it's all so easy like i know people who are in like seven different bands (laughs) because it's just like you can be you can like like i'm in like three bands right now and i'm not stretching myself that thin you know you can share me, you can share a Google Drive with me and I'll learn your songs and then you'll come over to my place and we'll sit on the floor and record it, you know? It's great. It makes me really happy. Like sometimes I'll get a text from somebody be like, hey, can you lay down vocals for this really quick? And they'll send me a song and I'll just do it. Like that would be so impossible in like any era of the past. Like, so that kind of ease of collaboration, I hope it makes people more collaborative. I hope it starts, you know, encouraging people to just, hey, plan my record. Hey, play a show with me. Hey, we're gonna jam, and if some kind of crazy project comes of it, good, you know? Um, and it, it almost feel, it, it feels like an old-fashioned, like, oh, everybody's got a jam, we're all gonna jam around the fireplace. But I also think it's like, there's something that's so like nurturing about being in the jam circle and playing music with a million different people. And you know, there's something so like satisfying about showing up to somebody's pad and you know, recording an entire album. My my first band, the first band that I joined, um that i actually recorded with like we just went to our producer's apartment in new and we recorded like an entire punk album like i'm so happy that that could happen and it's a good album like we kind of played our asses off um in our producer's apartment in new like who would have thought it makes me so happy to to like know that that's the state of music right now that's just so easy and that it's so accessible to literally anyone who's even curious so i i hope that music kind of continues just like becoming more and more accessible i think that's that's the it's like the most likely path that i see happening and it's also the one that makes me the happiest so you know More collaboration. Everybody be friends.
0: So, Emma, many people have all around a similar idea of what music is, but there's some who have an idea of what is not music. So, in your opinion, is there ever something that maybe couldn't be considered music or shouldn't be considered music? Or if it has, like, a sound or melody to it, could it still be music? Like, what's your opinion on what's music and what's not music?
1: So like my first instinct is to talk about um, Water Walk or like 433, which are like John Cage pieces. And John Cage's whole shtick was like that, like pushing the limits of what people believe music. Water Walk, I'm gonna encourage you and also the listeners at home to listen to it and also to find a video of it being performed um because it's him just walking around making different sounds with water like he pours it out of a jug he like you know like i think he like rattles ice cubes in a glass or whatever like it can barely be described as music four minutes and 33 seconds it's a piece where the musician on stage sits still and doesn't play anything for four minutes and 33 seconds but then like I don't know, I still consider that music. There's still artistic intent. It's still technically organized sound. I think organized sound is the um, my favorite definition of music. People like to say pitches arranged in a pleasing manner. And while, yeah, technically, but like, what about drum circles? Those aren't always pitched yeah they're in a pleasing manner but like that's purely rhythmic dude you know, like i i i don't i don't think that music needs a constrictive um definition i think that if you need it to be music it can be if you sitting still is going to be music then yeah the song becomes the wind whistling through the room the song becomes the audience nervously rustling their programs. The song becomes someone in the back row can't stop coughing. And now that's what you're listening for. I think um there was this piece on the radio like that I remember I have like a really strong memory of like listening to this piece on NPR or something as a kid where um an audio engineer for um for like a podcast or something had left a loop of someone speaking, running for like an hour by accident. And it was just the same sentence over and over again. And she realized like, that after a while she'd started to hear pitches in the sentence that she'd been listening to on repeat for so long. So I think that Humans are primed to hear things as musical. There's a reason that so many songs have heartbeat samples in them. There's a reason why there are so many pieces composed to sound like trains or cars because we hear the chug chug of a train and we think that's rhythmic. That's drumming, that's percussion. I think that um I don't think that Something is definitively not music unless humans don't want it to be, unless the the artist doesn't want it to be. Um there's a concept called um Ngoma. I think it's a in Dagbone, I think. Don't quote me on that specifically. I took an ethnomusicology class last semester and I was like, yes, I know everything. Um, but there was um there was a country that we studied where there's a concept of like music intended to be music and things that are merely musical in everyday life. So like a song that like farmers sing while plowing a field, just to keep the rhythm of hoeing isn't necessarily music, but then there was a style of music and dance in that, in that country. um, That evolved out of just the song that you keep yourself occupied with while you're working. So like, there's definitely like, there's definitely like regional definitions of like, you know, what's music, what isn't, what actually academically counts as music, you know, but I think just like, if you want to get the most out of music, I think that your definition doesn't need to be that constricting. I think that, you know, The chug of a train is as much music as Stairway to Heaven, you know? Because, you know, that chug of a train will evoke something in you. It will make you want to piece together the rhythm. You know, sometimes you listen to a car horn, and there's a chord in there. And that chord, you listen to it the same way you listen to a train chugging, and you'll want to piece together a rhythm out of it or you'll hear a car horn. And there'll be like chords in this cacophony of car horns. And I don't know, it can make you feel the same way as a chord in the piano will. There's still pitch and rhythm information in everyday life in ways that I think shouldn't be left out of anyone's definition of music.
0: Now, going back into your role of higher education, because I know you want to go into, like, teaching. So, what are some methods or some techniques that you have in mind that you would use for, you would want to use to gain the utmost efficiency in your work? So, like, how would you... What sort of methods would you use to ensure that your students have a better grasp on what they're learning?
1: So I started teaching like private music lessons right out of high school. So I was like 18, teaching people way older than me. And like over the course of like the past seven-ish years, I found that Sometimes the only thing you can offer a student for real is just the ability to be introspective. So I find that I ask my students why they make certain decisions. I ask my students why this chord here, you know, Why move your left hand all the way down the piano before it needs to be there? Um, Why crouch over your guitar? You know, why, like, why write this specific line in your song? Why do you make these decisions when you make music? And sometimes it's like, um, it's in, in songwriting lessons in particular, it's so hard to like, you know, have a structure to teaching songwriting because it's so personal to people. It's, you know, you're basically like they're paying you to read their diary in some cases. So I think um. a lot of the times The what I can do for you is help you identify like your habits, good and bad. Do you write songs from first person perspective or third person perspective? And then I can ask you why I can ask you, why do you think you only write songs from third person perspective? What would it be like to write a song about yourself or vice versa? You know, what would it be like to write something about an experience that you've never had? What would it be like to write a song inspired by a painting or inspired by, you know, a news article, like identifying patterns, identifying and where you go naturally, where you feel safe in your practice, and then just letting the pendulum swing the other way. And I, that, that's mostly applicable to songwriting lessons, which is what I like teaching the most. But it's, I think it's still applicable to um, instrument, instrument learning, like, you know, ask a piano player, you know, like, why do you gravitate towards only this kind of song? Like, why don't we try playing a song that, like, requires you to play a lot of chords rather than just single notes? You know, I think, um, there's something, like, um, I think, uncurious about, um, music instruction that is just we go through the curriculum. I think there's something um, limiting about this song that your instructor learned from their instructor learned from their instructor, and you just play it, and then you go on to the next one. I think, um, I think when whenever anybody's drawn to some kind of you know, artistic practice. It says something about who they are as a person. And I think like its its it's never like a waste of time to just kind of ask somebody, why music? You know, why violin? Why songwriting? Why singing? You know? So I think the thing that I really want to offer students is just that introspection. That first, what do I do? Second, why do I do it? You know because that's what my professors have offered me and that's what changed my musical education the most is that like why do i do what what i do and that's um that's the um the train of thought that really let me evolve i just kind of want to give my students a little bit of a head start on that
0: so we both know music is like an art. It's one of the greatest forms of art in the world. Like the way people practice it, the way they put it into motion, way it resonates the crowd. And, like music is not only one of the greatest forms of art; it's also one of the most attractive forms of art. But there are other things that people would consider art that many others would not, like architecture or pottery or just or planting just planting you know like playing food or something and so like in your eyes how would how would you how do you feel about this
1: i think like so many people describe like um like the art of interior design the art of like the art of cooking is one you hear all the time the art of cooking, the science of baking, you know. But, like, there's, like, a certain level of, like, intense passion that that people feel about a subject where they start calling it art. I think that they're right, you know? You know, I watch my boyfriend solder together a computer, and to him, it's art. And the way I see him talking about it the way that he can like explain every single component, the way he explains like I'm using this type of solder my iron is at this temperature exactly. It's art in the same way that I watch my little brother choose the colors on his paint palette. You know? I think that um like humans who create anything are like art like creation is an art, maybe is that what I'm trying to say, like, any act of creation by a human, because they feel moved to is art. I watch my mom, planting her, her, her arm.
0: They, and, they, you her know,
1: garden? she talks to every single one. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 um, I watch my mom, you know, planting seeds. And she talks to every single one as they go in the ground you know i i like (laughs) there's just like oh there's a point after which like how is it not art how is there not art when like when you like are so moved by something no matter how like quote unquote mundane it is like I there's yes, there's like fine art where like the music, the painting. But you know, I have friends who are architects and I have friends who are like I know my math and friends would call like addition art, but they sure as hell would call coding art. I think that um The human need to create things is what makes art, art. Same thing as, you know, a broad definition of music serves everybody and a broad definition of art also is, you know, it's freeing to think of things as art, even though they aren't painted onto a canvas. You know, it makes life happier if everything can be art. And think of like everything in the world that is art, like Oh, hey, look, here's a book. Someone designed this cover. Some graphic designer went to school to be able to like perfectly align all of this typeface. Someone cut this pattern and sewed love into every stitch, you know? Ideally, you know, with, with the way the mass production of textiles is in this in this world that we live in. You know, maybe someone didn't sew love into every stitch of the shirt that I'm wearing. Um, but someone still drafted the pattern, someone still cut it, someone still put it together. That's hours and hours and hours of human labor, of the human act of creation, you know? Someone had to design every single thing in every single room that all of us are in, you know? It's, it's artistic the way it all came together, you know?
0: So I'm actually A little more curious about you. So, I know we've talked a lot about the beauty of collaborations and being able to come together through music, but, and I know you've worked with a lot of people trying to get your albums and your productions done, but I'm actually a little more curious about your process when you're alone. Take it like this I was once in isolation at work, there was no one but me, and I'm a writer. So that gave me a lot of time to be alone with my thoughts and the ideas I had, and I was able to write a book from it. So in your experience, uh, Emma, what were some times when, to help you concentrate best, you were like, I need to be alone right now?
1: It's funny, like, I'm in a place right now where I'm working, like, more than full-time. I leave the house at, you know whatever o'clock early in the morning, I get back at whatever o'clock late at night. I actually left work early to be here tonight. So (laughs) (laughs) thanks Thanks for giving me an excuse. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm in a place right now where I just like am so infrequently alone that I feel like it's affecting my creative process. I'm having like half-baked ideas for songs and I'm like, if only I could just like put down the phone, if only I could just, like, stop, like, filling people's orders, like, if only I could, like, stop helping customers, I could just, like, let loose. Um. I honestly think, like, my most fruitful periods of writing have been, like, the summers between school years, you know, where I'm, like, you know, working mornings, but still like rehearsing with the band, you know, where I can just like barricade myself into my room where I can, you know, like spend an entire, you know, day off just walking around. And maybe like later I just learn an entirely new piece of software for my music and stuff. I think like, um, there's like a, Yeah, there's there's definitely like, um, periods where I there are so many ideas just swimming in there that I can't pin them all down. Unless I can just have a second. I've been thinking about this a lot, because I've been at my first job for about a month now. And this is the first time in a while where I'm not spending my free time writing where I'm not spending my weekends writing where I'm not practicing as much as I want to, because, you know, I gotta, I'm trying to make a book. It's just like, <laughs> if only, um, but, um, there was a point, um, winter 2019 before, before the beginning of the end, um, where I was helping this guy named Xander, um he was a purchase film student so we met on the open forum where everyone you know (laughs) you know it's um it's definitely like a meeting place for great minds sometimes but like we happened upon each other like he was like hey can any has does anyone have experience writing musicals and I was like I do um literally whatever you need I will I got you and like looking back like i was very bold to say that because like i'd only like had aspirations to write musicals so like a week or so into the project i was already freaking out so winter break hit i'd met with Sander a couple of times and we'd really like hashed out he's a brilliant brilliant filmmaker by the way um and we'd like gotten like the mood boards together he'd given me like his um references like what he wanted it to sound like he was like I want this to sound like over the garden wall. I want this to sound golden age, like the wizard of Oz. And it was like this fantasy musical about a little kid who gets lost in a maze. And it was like the middle of winter break. I was freaking out because I was like, this is so many songs. I like can't handle this. I'm so out of practice on piano. I was not the best at, um, notation or sight reading at that time so like i needed to write all these scores for all these musicians who were going to play the parts and sing it i was like maybe i can just spend most of winter break either alone in my room or maybe i can you know let my boyfriend drag me to cafes and i can work in the daylight but i just kind of like and Andrew, who was wonderful, was like very, um, very supportive. He was like, we're gonna, you're gonna do this by the light of day, you know, you're gonna, um, you know, if you need someone to talk out loud to, I got you. Um, but, um, I spent so much time either physically alone or like alone with my thoughts. During that project, during that like month, where I was just like, you know, really like pulling out all the stops, so to speak, trying to get this thing done. And um, there would be like entire days where I'd sit in the basement, hunched over the piano, like writing everything out, like and putting notes into new score. Like, oh God, do I do this chord here, this chord here? But like looking back that's some of the best music i ever wrote and i still like am really surprised when i think like that was me in like junior year of college senior year i guess ish like i could barely read music i wasn't a great piano player i'd never like arranged for horns. I'd never written a musical despite my saying that I had. But when I showed it to Xander and his team, they were like, wow, this is great. And looking back, like, I wish the pandemic hadn't cut that project short. I want to hear it like brought to fruition. I, I like all of that time that i just spent like basically talking to myself <laughs> you know you know with my like mad scientist like pepe silvia board of ideas like god that paid off and i missed the opportunity to like have that kind of time like it kind of feels like that it's not even like lonely in a bad way that kind of like lone, you know, I'm just gonna let my mind swim kind of time is such a luxury now. That could only happen in college, kind of, and it'll, you know, it'll happen, you know, down the line when I have like a I really miss that freedom to just be like, today is my day to not speak to anyone and to just write everything i need to you know i i really miss that i really miss that kind of day but you know yeah. say like goddamn v i really screwed myself over um my last two years of college because i um i took 30 credits the last four the last two semesters of my undergrad so i i just like I didn't give myself any free time, but still I feel like I had more free time taking 30 credits of classes than I do now. And it's like, I miss it. I want it back. I'll go back to school just for that.
0: All right, Emma, last question. When looking at your legacy years down the line, um, you know, what is it exactly that, You want people to remember the most about you. Like, what is something you want to be best remembered for?
1: I want to make people happy. Um, I know that's, like, so run-of-the-mill. But I have this, like, view of myself that, like, from the outside, I just feel like people view me as like, you know, this big and like, gloomy and you know, I, I don't know, I, I don't love to think about that. Because like, you know, I want to be remembered for Doing things that I enjoy, not necessarily for, like, huge accomplishments. I want to be remembered for the people that I have yet to meet, you know? I think I mentioned um, when we were, like, messaging on LinkedIn, like, my... The project that I, like, daydream about right now is, um, like, a documentary series about the... um the folk music of different regions of the country so like my dream right now is to just pack up in like ideally in a chevy astro um but i'll take anything and drive around the country like looking for people who are still singing these hundreds of years old songs and ask them, like what the hell are you doing in the digital age like i want to like learn from people who've been playing the banjo for 60 years and never had a formal lesson i want to like i don't know i want to be remembered as like i want to be remembered as an outreached hand i want to be remembered as like a bit of an invitation of a person you know. And I think that, to me, it always feels unwise to preemptively think of what my legacy will be, because then I get scared that it will never be as grand as I want it to be. And I start worrying like, well, my records aren't doing great right now, how will they ever do great enough for me to have an actual legacy, but you know, I want to be remembered as a shoulder. I want to be remembered as an ear. I want to be remembered as like um I don't know as long as I can get somebody to laugh, that's all I want to be remembered for and I, I really mean that from like the bottom of my heart like it's one of the reasons I love teaching, like when you have a student who just like who, like, finally gets something to click, that's the best feeling in the world. Like, watching someone go through, like, there's five stages of grief. Maybe there maybe there are five stages of joy. Maybe someone's figured that out. I, I haven't Googled it. But, like, you can see, like, the proverbial five stages of joy on somebody's face when they finally learn a song that they love. And they're, like, I ha- like, it's so contagious, and I want that i want to always be surrounded by that i want to always be surrounded by people who are doing things that make them that happy like i think that it's the least that we as people we as humans deserve you know like i don't know i would i would like to you know be remembered as as uh, professor helped me get an A. You know, I liked this song as a kid, but I think for me right now, it's more important to be like sharing those experiences rather than worry about whether or not people will remember them
0: amazing amazing just one beautiful answer after the other oh man all right ladies and gentlemen so that is it for episode six of the upcoming I want to thank you so much Emma thank you so much for being a part of this amazing conversation
1: thank you for having me like this, this was wonderful I, I love talking to people I love um I, I love the camaraderie of like us ex-purchase kids too <laughs> we're a good group
0: All right, folks, so stay tuned for next week where we've got another awesome episode coming your way. That is all for the upcoming. See you next week. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the upcoming. If you like this, please sure to follow us on Spotify for more amazing content. The best is yet to come. Take care,
1: everybody.